This is the San Francisco Experience with your host, Jim Herlihy. Episode 20, The Perfect Storm, How the Coronavirus Overwhelmed the U.S. Healthcare System. California revised its COVID-19 first fatality date to February 6, 2020. It occurred in Santa Clara. The first victim was a 57-year-old woman by the name of Patricia Dowd. She was a manager for a semiconductor company who, according to her brother, exercised, watched her diet, and took no meds. We did not, she did not smoke, and she was in good health generally, according to the Los Angeles Times. Her sudden death was a shock, and it was believed to have been a heart attack. Her death on February 6th and that of another Santa Clara man, age 69, on February 17th, were the first confirmed deaths before what was believed to have been the first COVID-19 death on February 29th in Washington. Neither of the two Santa Clara patients had had a recent history of travel Miss Dowd had suffered flu-like symptoms for a few days and then appeared to recover. Neither of the two victims was tested for COVID-19 at the time of their illness. And subsequently, the Santa Clara investigators were able to use tissue samples which were tested for COVID-19 and both of them were ruled to have died with COVID-19. So that's a very important data point, the actual first death on February 6th, which is a full three weeks before what we thought was the first death on the 29th in the state of Washington. That gave the virus a full three weeks to progress undetected, unnoticed throughout the Bay Area and throughout the rest of the United States. So that was a uh, that was one data point that I wanted to share with you. Another data point to keep in mind is the travel restrictions between the United States and China and Europe. A couple of important dates here. China flights were restricted on February 2nd. European flights were restricted on March 13th. According to Governor Andrew Cuomo in yesterday's press conference, from January through March, 13,000 flights from Europe, including Italy, Spain, France, the United Kingdom, Germany, brought 2.2 million people to the New York metropolitan area through JFK and Newark International Airports. So while the administration had suspended all flights from China and to China on February 2nd, and of course, San Francisco has always been the primary gateway to China from the 19th century up to this day, and New York has always been the primary gateway to Europe into the United States. 
So those flight statistics, which the governor cited yesterday, of 13,000 flights from the month of January, February, and into March, coming from Europe, when we all knew at the time that Italy and Spain in particular were suffering from a, a dreadful pandemic, that the country was moving into lockdown, but travel continued unimpeded between the New York metropolitan area and Italy, Spain, and the rest of Europe. Again, that's another important data point which helps to explain why the New York area has become ground zero and the epicenter of the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic in the United States. But let's come back to, uh, to the Bay Area. Um, it was reported back in early December that we were experiencing a very early flu season. Normally, January and February are typically the peak months for the flu season in the Bay Area. However, on December 6th, California reported 16 flu-related deaths. The, that was, uh, we were off to our earliest start in 15 years in terms of fatalities, according to California State Public Health Officer Sonia Angel who warned residents to make sure that they had their flu shots and if they didn't have flu shots to get them ASAP. But in that advisory on December 6th, there was no discussion of the coronavirus. There was no uh, assumption that public health authorities were dealing with anything other than a normal flu season. And the strain of flu that we were expecting in the United States during this winter season was the H3N2 strain. And that was the strain against which we had been given our flu shots. So that was the flu strain that public health authorities were focused on and thought would have the greatest effect in the United States. They were not focused on coronavirus. So we had public health authorities who basically were, were looking for a different culprit, and nor did they have a vaccine against coronavirus. We still don't have one today. Nor did they have testing for the coronavirus. So even if they had been concerned about this sudden and quick and early start to the uh, virulent flu season, they didn't have the tools to manage it and to contain it. The flu season officially began on September 29th, 2019, and 16 flu-related deaths were noted on death certificates through the end of November. That was uh, probably the worst result in terms of fatalities early on since the 2003-2004 flu season. At the same time, Louisiana was hit very hard with very large numbers of flu-like symptoms in October and into November. By early December, Children's Hospital in New Orleans had already seen more flu cases than in the entire winter of 2018 to 19. Again, uh, in another part of the country, in New Orleans, 
there was a huge pickup in flu cases and a very virulent strain of flu. Could it have been the coronavirus? We don't know. There was no testing being done at the time. The CDC estimated in early December, now this is by early December of 2019, there had already been 1.7 million flu cases in the United States, 16,000 hospitalizations, and 900 flu-related deaths throughout the United States. Meanwhile, back in California, University of California, San Francisco, on January 17, 2020, was reporting that now there were up to 42 flu-related deaths of people under 65. That was a significant statistic because typically the large flu number of fatalities tend to be in older populations with underlying conditions. So the UCSF was reporting that we'd had 42 flu-related deaths, unusually large number, uh, in patients under 65 years of age. However, there was no explanation given by UCSF in that report for the rapid spread and virulence of the flu this year, and also the fact that these 42 victims were under the age of 65, atypically. So at that point, we had, it looked as though we had a very strong flu season. We had a very virulent form of flu that the H3N2 strain of flu, which was the predicted flu strain against which we had been inoculated, um, that did not appear to be, uh, that vaccine appeared to be less effective. But also, as these statistics were beginning to roll in, San Francisco continued to receive nine flights a day nonstop from China, Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, including three nonstops a week from Wuhan. And Wuhan, of course, was the center of the outbreak. And Wuhan in December and January was in the peak of its crisis and at the highest level of its infection rates. So our public health authorities by early January were thinking that H3N, uh, H3N2 strain of the flu was simply more virulent. And, but in retrospect, to the extent that there was a lack of testing, did they mistake COVID-19 symptoms for H3N2, just expecting that since that was the flu strain that had been predicted by the Center for Disease Control, just assuming that is what the uh, public health authorities were witnessing in the hospitals and the emergency rooms in the sudden upsurge of cases. Now, once again, Talking about the perfect storm, just to remind you, the fact that we had unrestricted flights coming from China and from Europe through February through March, we had little to no coronavirus testing 
in uh, California throughout the United States. It was very rare, very difficult to do that testing. So even if a doctor had suspected that COVID-19 was at play, the test just didn't exist here in California and other locations throughout the United States. We had, during the month of January and February, we had a distracted administration, which was fighting off impeachment. We had the cover of the normal flu season when most medical professionals would have assumed that a, an ill person presenting themselves to a doctor was simply uh, suffering from the normal flu. And absent a coronavirus test, there was no way to test that it wasn't the normal flu. And most deadly of all, the C-19 virus, the coronavirus, which causes COVID-19, is often carried by asymptomatic carriers who do not suffer from the illness themselves, but carry the virus and are infectious. So that was the perfect storm that had come together. So these hidden outbreaks which were occurring, which we assume were occurring throughout the United States, uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, New York City, Seattle, New Orleans, Chicago, these, these hidden outbreaks were largely being fanned by this perfect storm of conditions that enabled the virus to run rampant throughout the country. The New York Times, in an article in yesterday's paper, April 24th, spoke about these hidden outbreaks. And by early February, they believed that the virus had spread to multiple cities throughout the United States. Yesterday's article was based on a study by the Network Science Institute at Northeastern University, Boston. In that study, Dr. Alessandro Vespignani modeled three, modeled the spread of the disease and showed that there were tens of thousands of cases even in New York at the time. At the same time, the head of the Center for Disease Control, Dr. Robert Redfield, said, and I quote, through February 27th, 2020, this country, the United States, only had 14 cases, unquote. He went on to say that through the use of social distancing, through isolation and tracking, they had been able to contain those 14 cases and tracked who they had been in, those victims had been in contact with. But then, he explained, the virus exploded beyond those 14 cases and got beyond the capacity of the public health care system to deal with it. However, the new numbers which are presented by the Network for Science Institute are quite alarming because it shows that the Center for Disease Control was assuming there were 14 cases in the country, yet the study out of Northeastern University shows that there were tens of thousands of cases that had gone undetected. And some of the earlier data that I've shared with you gives some credence to that thesis. 
the New York virus, without question, came in from Europe and had been in Italy, brought into Italy from China. There were direct flights from Wuhan into Milan. There is a, a large immigrant population, Chinese immigrant population in, in Italy. And um, there are direct flights between the two countries. By the way, China protested vehemently against the Europeans suspending flights from China into Europe. Uh, unlike the United States, which banned all flights on February 2nd, Europe continued to permit flights from China through the month of February and into March. So this new report out of Northeastern Euro University shows that the estimates of the CDC were very low, and perhaps the estimates of Northeastern University are on the high side. You know, once again, in tracking the movement of a disease after the effect, after the fact, it's a, uh, a a number of assumptions have to be made. But other universities and other epidemiologists are giving some weight and some credence to the Northeastern University study. Don't forget another challenge in the stealthiness of the spread of COVID-19 is that many of the carriers have no symptoms at all in much the way that typhoid Mary during the 19th century was able to spread typhus in New York, causing a, a huge epidemic of typh uh, typhoid fever, so too these asymptomatic COVID-19 coronavirus carriers were able to spread the uh, coronavirus and infect people with COVID-19 throughout the United States, went undetected. And unfortunately, our public health authorities, whose budgets had been hollowed out over the last 15 to 20 years, didn't have the resources to focus in on this new threat. Coming back to which cities acted fast, Seattle was the first city to act, and they shut down their city. They went into lockdown. They went into shelter-in-place on March 13th. San Francisco, California followed quickly behind Seattle on March 16th. The state of California on March 19th. But New York was somewhat slow to adopt shelter-in-place, and it wasn't until March 20th that the lockdown began to be phased in over a 10-day period through March 31st. The scale of the initial outbreak is still under study, but it appears to have been quite large. And while the history of the spread of the pandemic has yet to be written, and we are still in the midst of this pandemic, I think it's important while these statistics are fresh in our mind to keep them in mind, to highlight them, to focus on them, and to remember that we can prevent a resurgence of this COVID-19 epidemic when we eventually get back to normal, when we eventually emerge from our 
splendid isolation, we can prevent or limit a resurgence with the widespread testing which is now available. As of yesterday, up to 5.1 million Americans had been tested for COVID-19. That's out of a population of 330 million, but um, that is an important start. So to prevent the resurgence, number one, ongoing testing. We've tested 5.1 million people. The social distancing practices that we've adopted over the last four weeks will probably be maintained in one way, shape, or form or another. Masking, using gloves, are other practices which will probably stay with us to prevent a resurgence. And other measures which can be adopted very quickly to stop a resurgence dead in its tracks as soon as we see one begin to emerge. My sources for today's story and today's podcast are the Los Angeles Times, KRON-TV, University of California, San Francisco, the Centers for Disease Control, the New York Times, the University of Texas, and Northeastern University in Boston. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Experience. This is your host, Jim Herlihy, signing off from America's favorite city, San Francisco.